Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Why am I Mr. Pink? Who cares what your name is? Yeah, that's easy for you to say. You're Mr. White. You have a cool-sounding name. Let's go to work. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. What happens if the manager won't give you the diamonds? Cut off one of his fingers. The little one. I'm so scared in case I fall off the chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. If they hadn't have done what I told them not to do, They'd still be alive. It's so hard to keep this mouth on my face. I'm all over the place. You're acting like a first year thief. I'm acting like a professional. And your family are coming. Slap you on my back and say. Choice has been doing 10 years. Taking out some stupid money. Ain't no choice at all. Bam. Bam, 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 bam. You're under arrest, sugar. <laughs> Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi, Lawrence Tierney, and Michael Madsen. They're the Reservoir Dogs. Hey, Joe, want me to shoot this guy? Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Reservoir Dogs from 1992. The studio was Miramax Films, release date was October 9th, 1992. The running time, 99 minutes, Quentin Tarantino's shortest film, and the rating, of course, was R. The budget, between 2 to $3 million, and the box office took in $2.8 million, making it the 136th-ranked movie of 1992. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 90% fresh from 71 reviews. Their consensus is, thrumming with intelligence and energy, Reservoir Dogs opens Quentin Tarantino's filmmaking career with a hard-hitting style. Now, Roger Ebert at the time... He gave it two and a half out of four stars. Here's his review. Now that we know Quentin Tarantino can make a movie like Reservoir Dogs, it's time for him to move on and make a better one. This film, the first from an obviously talented writer-director, is like an exercise in style. He sets up his characters during a funny scene in a coffee shop, and then puts them through a stick-up that goes disastrously wrong. Most of the movie deals with its bloody aftermath, as they assemble in a warehouse and bleed and drool on one another. The movie has one of the best casts you can imagine, led by the legendary old tough guy Lawrence Tierney, who's been in and out of jail on screen and in real life. He is incapable of uttering a syllable that sounds inauthentic. The movie feels like it's going to be terrific, but Tarantino's script doesn't have much curiosity about the guys. He has an idea and trusts the idea to drive the plot. The idea is that the tough guys, except for Tierney and the deranged Michael Madsen, are mostly bluffers. They're not good at handling themselves in desperate situations. We see the bungled crime in flashbacks. Tarantino has a confident, kinetic way of shooting action. Guys running down the street, gun battles, blood and screams. Then the action centers in the warehouse, where Madsen sadistically toys with a character he thinks is a cop. And then the movie ends on a couple of notes of horrifying poetic justice. One of the discoveries in the movie is Madsen, who has done a lot of acting over the years. He had a good role in The Natural. But here he emerges with a kind of really menacing screen presence only a few actors achieve. 
He can hold his own with the fearsome Tierney, and reminds me a little of a very mean Robert De Niro. Tarantino himself is also interesting as an actor. He could play great crazy villains. As for the movie, I liked what I saw, but I wanted more. I know the story behind the movie. Tarantino promoted the project from scratch on talent and nerve, and I think it's quite an achievement for a first-timer, especially being made on a low budget. But part of that needed work didn't cost money. It's a screenplay. Having created the characters and fashioned the outline, Tarantino doesn't do much with his characters except let them talk too much, especially when they should be unconscious from shock and loss of blood. And that's the end of Ebert's review. So while Ebert doesn't give a scathing review and almost always makes valid points in all of his reviews, I obviously don't agree with his average rating. I'm sure Ebert didn't realize that Reservoir Dogs would influence filmmaking for the next few decades. The dialogue, which is never matched, the fashion, the violence and blood, and was all somewhat copied in various forms in the 1990s. Like a lot of people, I was introduced to Tarantino through Pulp Fiction, and then I went back and saw Reservoir Dogs. And you could see the foundation of where Tarantino took Pulp Fiction, especially the great dialogue scenes, as we'll get into, and frankly, Ebert called it. Reservoir Dogs was a great starting point for Tarantino, but he really went to the next level with Pulp Fiction. All right, let's get into the main cast. So Harvey Keitel plays Mr. White. Younger audiences would be introduced to Keitel's work through some of Tarantino's films, but he had quite a career prior to 1992 and actually began in the early 1970s. Some of his best-known films before Reservoir Dogs included Mean Streets, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, Taxi Driver, Mother Jugs and Speed, Blue Collar, The Last Temptation of Christ, Thelma and Louise, Bugsy, and Bad Lieutenant, many Martin Scorsese films. Tim Roth plays Mr. Orange. Now, Roth was part of the British version of the Brat Pack. They were kind of called the Brit Pack, which included Daniel Day-Lewis, Gary Oldman, Colin Firth, Paul McGann, Spencer Lee, and Bruce Payne. It was Reservoir Dogs that really put Roth on the map for audiences outside of the UK. Michael Madsen plays Mr. Blonde. As Ebert mentioned, my introduction to Madsen was The Natural, where he played Bump Bailey, the egocentric star of the New York Knights, but ends up getting killed after crashing into the outfield fence hence allowing Robert Redford's character a shot at more playing time. Madsen continued his career through the 80s in small roles and on television shows, but Reservoir Dogs will forever be one of his most memorable roles, and he continues to appear in movies and TV shows to this day. Chris Penn plays Nice Guy Eddie. Like many, my introduction to Penn was as Willard in the movie Footloose, where he plays Kevin Bacon's best friend. If you didn't know, Penn is also the brother of Sean Penn. Other notable films he was in prior to Reservoir Dogs include All the Right Moves, Tom Cruise, Rumblefish, The Wild Wife, Pale Rider, and At Close Range. Sadly, Penn died at the age of 40 in 2006 from heart disease. Steve Buscemi plays Mr. Pink. Buscemi is one of the most beloved character actors around. Really, he's a throwback to early Hollywood and the importance of working character actors who you've seen in countless films. His career began in the mid-1980s and continued to build throughout the decade. His big break was in the terrific 1990 film Miller's Crossing, directed by the Coen brothers. And he would work with them often over the years, including Barton Fink a few years later. He'd also appear in short but memorable roles in many Adam Sandler films. Lawrence Tierney plays Joe Cabot. Now, I covered Tierney's career in the excellent film noir Born to Kill, which originally came out in 1947, but this was also a podcast episode. Check it out. He had quite the career and life outside of film and was often in trouble with the law, as Ebert mentioned. Check out that episode, Born to Kill, if you want more about his early career. So on a day off from shooting, Lawrence Tierney was actually arrested for allegedly pulling a gun on his nephew, Michael. According to Quentin Tarantino, Tierney was taken from his bail arraignment 
directly to the set. All right, let's get into the making of the film. So it can't be understated that Quentin Tarantino is a huge lover of films and, and film history. But his favorite films are usually little-known independent films, not even cult classics per se. And so he used this almost savant knowledge of the types of films he loved growing up and put them into his own films, and that's apparent in Reservoir Dogs. Tarantino's rise to making it in the film business is almost like a film. He worked at a video store in Southern California, which was the ideal job for a film lover at the time. He wanted to make a very small budget film of around $30,000. Tarantino was going to work with a young actor who later, like Tarantino, became prominent in the film business as a producer. His name was Lawrence Bender. Bender gave the script to his acting coach, who passed it along to Harvey Keitel. And it's really the old tale of just a maze of luck and getting the right people to discover your work. Keitel obviously liked the script and agreed to co-produce the film, as he had far more clout at the time than Tarantino to raise funds. Tarantino was, and is, incredibly confident in his writing and directing abilities, and rightfully so. His original script title page read, Written and to be directed by Quentin Tarantino. And you watch Reservoir Dogs, it plays like it was made by someone who has been making films for years. And this was his first film on his own. And this film really started and inspired a whole new generation of films and filmmakers. Though, to his credit, Tarantino has never wavered or went Hollywood per se. Early Kevin Smith movies were similar in some way for the, you know, real dialogue that was included as the main draw to these films. Besides the dialogue and the music, the violence and the use of a lot of blood and key scenes really shocked some viewers. It was the aftermath of the violence, not the act that pushed the envelope. In the past, sure, you'd see blood and gore in horror films, possibly war films, and Sam Peckinpah-directed films, but never in a heist or crime films, which is very interesting. You might see someone getting shot and some blood, but not like Reservoir Dogs, where Tarantino really drew out these scenes. And again, it influenced future films. Tarantino was originally going to play the part of Mr. Pink, although he made a point of letting all the other actors audition for the part. When Steve Buscemi came in to read for it, Tarantino told him that he really wanted the part for himself, and that the only way that Buscemi could possibly wrestle it from him was to do a killer audition. Obviously, that occurred. Tim Roth refused to read for the film. He did insist on going out drinking with Quentin Tarantino and Harvey Keitel. He agreed to read for them when they were all drunk. Okay, let's get into the film. So it begins in what would become prototypical Tarantino dialogue. At the time, it was completely unique, and if you would come to discover Reservoir Dogs years after its initial release, it would be easy to take for granted this opening scene, because now it's considered Tarantino's trademark. In any case, the main characters are discussing the meaning of a Madonna song and her catalog, which eventually transitions to another brilliant discussion and then some terrific deep-cut music. Something less obvious than a tried and true hit song. Let me tell you what Like a Virgin's about. It's all about a girl who digs a guy with a big dick. Entire song. It's a metaphor for big dicks. No, it ain't. It's about a girl who's very vulnerable. She's been fucked over a few times and uh, then she meets a guy. Who's whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, Green. Toby. They tell that fucking bullshit to the tourists. Toby. Who the fuck is Toby? Like a Virgin's not about some sensitive girl who meets a nice fella. That's what True Blue's about. No, granted, no argument about that. What's True Blue? No, you ain't heard True Blue. It's a big ass in from I don't even follow that top to the pop shit, and you've never heard True Blue. Yeah, so even saying heard of it, you know, what I asked is how's it go? Excuse me for not being the world's biggest Madonna fan. Personally, I can do without her. I used to like her early stuff, Borderline. 
when she got off in the back pocket on the preach phase, I tuned out. But you guys are like making me lose my train of thought here. I was saying something. What was it? Oh, Toby's that little Chinese girl. That was her last name. What's that? Uh, it's an old address book I found on a coat I haven't worn in a cruise age. What was that name? What the fuck was I talking about? So True Blue was about a guy, uh, such a girl that meets a nice guy, but like a virgin with a metaphor for big dicks. Okay, let me tell you what like a virgin's about. It's all about this coos who's a regular fuck machine. Now I'm talking morning, day, night, afternoon. Dick, 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 dick. How many dicks is that? A lot. So one day she meets this John Holmes motherfucker and it's like, whoa, baby. I mean, this cat is like Charles Bronson in the Great Escape. He's digging tunnels. All right, now she's getting this serious dick action. And she's feeling something she ain't felt since forever. Pain, pain. Chew, Toby, chew. It hurts, it hurts her. It shouldn't hurt. You know, her pussy should be bubbling up by now. But when this cat fucks her, it hurts. It hurts just like it did the first time. You see, the pain is reminding a fuck machine what it was once like to be a virgin. Hence, like a virgin. Wow. Give me that fucking thing. Hey, what the hell do you think you're doing? Give me my book. Back. I'm sick of fucking hearing it, Joe. I'll give it back to you when we leave. What do you mean when we leave? Give me it back now. For the past 15 minutes now, you've been droning on about names. Toby. 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 Toby Wong. Toby Wong. Toby Wong. Toby Chung. Fucking Charlie Chan. We've got Madonna's big dick coming out of my left ear. And Toby the Jack, I don't know what, coming out of my right. Give me that book. Are you going to put it away? I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want with it. Well, then I'm afraid I'm going to have to keep it. Hey, Joe, want me to shoot this guy? Shit. <laughs> you shoot me in a dream, you better wake up and apologize. <laughs> you guys been listening to K. Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s? Weekend? Oh, yeah, man, it's fucking great, isn't it? You believe the songs they've been playing? You know what I heard the other day? Heartbeat, it's a love beat by Little Tony DeFranco and the Franco family. Man, I haven't heard that song since I was in the fifth fucking grade. When I was coming down here, the night the lights went out in Georgia came on. I ain't heard that song since it was big. When it was big, I must have heard it a million trillion fucking times. But this is the first time I ever realized that the girl singing the song is the one who shot Andy. Wait, I mean, you didn't know that Vicky Lawrence was the one who shot Andy? You thought it was the cheating wife shot Andy. Yeah, but they said that at the end of the song. Yeah, I know, motherfucker. I just heard it. That's what I'm talking about. You don't you motherfucker. <laughs> I must have zoned out during that party fight. All right. I'll take care of the check. You guys can get the tip. Should be about a buck a piece. And you, when I come back, I want my book. Sorry, it's my book now. Hey, I changed my mind. Shoot this piece of shit, will you? <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody cough up some green for the little lady. Come on, throw in a buck. Uh-uh, I don't tip. You don't tip? No, I don't believe in it. You don't believe in tipping? You know what these chicks make? They make shit. Don't give me that. She don't make enough money, she can quit. <laughs> I don't even know a fucking Jew would have the ball to say that. Uh, let me just get this straight. You don't ever tip, huh? I don't tip because society says I have to. All right, I mean, I'll tip if somebody really deserves a tip. If they really put forth the effort, I'll give them something extra. But, I mean, it's tipping automatically. Uh, it's for the birds. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they're just doing their job. Hey, this girl was nice. She was okay. I mean, she wasn't anything special. What's special? Take you in the back and suck your dick. 
<laughs> I'd go over 12% for that. Hey, look, I ordered coffee, right? Now, we've been here a long fucking time. She's only filled my cup three times. I mean, when I order coffee, I want it filled six times. Six times? Well, you know, what if she's too fucking busy? Words too fucking busy shouldn't be in a waitress's vocabulary. Excuse me, Mr. Pink, but the last fucking thing you need is another cup of coffee. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I mean, these ladies aren't starving to death. They make minimum wage. You know, I used to work minimum wage, and when I did, I wasn't lucky enough to have a job that society deemed tip-worthy. You don't care they'd count on your tips to live? You know what this is? It's the world's smallest violin playing just for the waitresses. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. These people bust their ass. This is a hard job. So I was working at McDonald's, but you don't feel the need to tip them, do you? Well, why not? They're serving you food. But no, society says, don't tip these guys over here, but tip these guys over here. That's bullshit. Waitressing is the number one occupation for female non-college graduates in this country. It's the one job basically any woman can get and make a living on. The reason is because of their tips. Fuck all that. Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm very sorry the government taxes their tips. That's fucked up. That ain't my fault. I mean, it would appear that waitresses are one of the many groups the government fucks in the ass on a regular basis. I mean, if you show me a piece of paper that says the government shouldn't do that, I'll sign it. Put it to a vote, I'll vote for it. But what I won't do is play ball. And it's non-college bullshit you're giving me. I got two words for that. Learn to fucking type. Because if you're expecting me to help out with the rent, you're in for a big fucking surprise. Just convince me. Give me my dollar back. Hey. Leave the dollars there. All right, ramblers, let's get rambling. Wait a minute. Who didn't throw in? Mr. Pink. Mr. Pink? Why not? You don't tip. You don't tip? What do you mean you don't tip? You don't believe in it. Shut up. What do you mean you don't believe in it? Come on, you. Cough up a bucket, cheap bastard. I paid for your goddamn breakfast. All right, since you pay for the breakfast, I'll put in. But normally, I would never do this. Never mind what you normally would do. Just cough in your goddamn buck like everybody else. Thank you. That was the Partridge family's Doesn't Somebody Want to Be Wanted, followed by Edison Lighthouse's Love Grows Where My Rosemary Goes. SK Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s Weekend Just Keeps On Trucking. And while technically the opening scene has nothing to do with the plot itself, it has everything to do with the character development and how today's films are so void of great dialogue. It makes you appreciate these random scenes so much more. I mean, the whole tipping diatribe by Steve Buscemi is brilliant. Plus the look of each of the main characters with the black suit and ties, along with the perfectly chosen music, Tarantino always knew what he was doing, even early on in his career. Now Madonna, who is the main topic of that opening conversation... Really liked the film, but refuted Tarantino's interpretation of her song Like a Virgin. She gave him a copy of her erotica album signed to Quentin. It's not about dick, it's about love. Madonna. The tone of the film quickly changes as we fast forward to the future and we see Mr. Orange, Tim Roth, bleeding profusely in the back of a car after being shot in the stomach. Mr. White, played by Harvey Keitel, is driving. White drags Orange into the gang's hideout, as Orange is rightfully scared that he's about to die. Pink, played by Steve Buscemi, arrives and is less than empathetic, as you would expect from a non-tipper. You're not going to fucking die, kid, all right? Listen to me. You're going to be fine. Along with the kneecap, the gut, 
is the most painful area a guy can get shot in. <laughs> Shit. But it takes a long time to die from it. I'm talking days. You're gonna wish you were dead. But it takes days to die from your wound. Time is on your side. Is that a fucking setup or what? Shit. Orange got tagged. Gotcha. Fuck. Where's the uh, brown? Dead. Oh. How did he die? How the fuck do you think? The cop shot. This is bad. This is so fucking bad. Is it bad? As opposed to good? This is fucked up. This is so fucked up. Somebody fucked us up big time, man. You really think we were set up? Do you even doubt it, man? I don't think we got set up. I know we got set up. I mean, really, seriously, where did all those cops come from, huh? One minute they're not there, and the next minute they're there? I didn't hear any sirens. The alarm went off, okay? When an alarm goes off, you got an average of four minutes response time. Unless a patrol car is cruising that street at that particular moment, you got four minutes before they can realistically respond. And in one minute, there were 17 blue boys out there, all one up a bear, all knowing exactly what the fuck they were doing. They were all just there. Remember that second wave that showed up in the cars, okay? Those are the ones responding to the alarm then. But those first motherfuckers, I'm telling you, man, they were there and they were waiting for us. Haven't you fucking thought about this? I haven't had a chance to think. First, I was just trying to get the fuck out of there. And after we got away, I've just been dealing with him. Better start fucking thinking about it, man, because that's all I'm thinking about, man. I wasn't even going to come here. I was going to drive, just drive off, man, because we're going to tell something else about this place. They're going to be cops here waiting for us, man. They're going to be cops coming here right now. Let's go in the other room. Hey, right in there. <laughs> White talks to Pink in the bathroom about what happened during the heist while Orange lays in agony. Okay. Let's go through what happened. Okay. We're in the place. Everything's going fine. Then the alarm gets tripped. I turn around and all these cops are outside. Right, because I damn, I blink my eyes and they're there. Everybody starts going apeshit. And Mr. Blonde starts to shoot all the in. That's not correct. What's wrong? Okay. The cops did not show up after the alarm went off. Right, the cops didn't show up until after Mr. Blonde started shooting everybody. As soon as I heard the alarm, I saw the no, cops. No, I'm telling you, it wasn't that soon, okay? They didn't, they didn't let their presence be known until after Mr. Blonde became a madman, all right? I'm not saying they weren't there. I'm saying they were there. But they didn't make a move until after Mr. Blonde started shooting everybody. I mean, that's how I know we were set up. Come on, Mr. White. I mean, you can, you can, you can see look, that. Look, look. Enough of this Mr. White shit. Oh, wait, 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 man. Don't, don't tell me your fucking name, man. I don't want to know it. Jesus Christ, I ain't going to tell you mine. You're right, this is bad. How did you get out? I shot my way out. Everybody started shooting, so I blasted my way out of there. Move it! 
tagged a couple of cops. Did you kill anybody? A few cops. No real people? Just cops. Man, could you believe Mr. Blonde? That was the most insane fucking thing I've ever seen. Why the fuck would Joe hire a guy like that? I, mean, I don't want to kill anybody. If I gotta get out that door and you're standing in my way, one way or the other, you're getting out of my way. That's the way I look at it. Choice between doing 10 years, taking out some stupid motherfucker. Ain't no choice at all. But I ain't no madman either. What the fuck was Joe thinking? Can't work with a guy like that. We're awful goddamn lucky he didn't tag us when he shot the place up. I came this close to taking his ass out myself. I mean, everybody panics. Everybody. Things get tense. It's human nature. You panic. I don't care what your name is. You can't help it. Fuck, man. You panic on the inside. In your head, you know? And you give yourself a couple of seconds, you get a you get a hold of the situation, you deal with it. What you don't do is start shooting up the place and start killing people. No, what you're supposed to do is act like a fucking professional. Psychopath ain't a professional. Can't work with a psychopath. You don't know what those sick assholes are gonna do next. I mean, Jesus Christ, how old do you think that black girl was? Twenty? Maybe twenty-one? If that. Hey, look, did you see what happened to anybody else? Me and Orange jumped in the car, ground floored it. After that, I don't know what we did. Well, at that point, it was every man for himself, man. As far as Mr. Blonde and Mr. Blue are concerned, I ain't got the foggiest, because once I got out, I never looked back. What do you think? What do I think? I mean, uh, you know, the cops either caught him or killed him. Got a chance to punch through, you found a hole. Yeah, and that was a fucking miracle. But even if they did get away, then where the fuck are they? You don't think it's possible one of them got a hold of diamonds and... No, no way. Give no yourself sure. I got the diamonds. <laughs> That's my boy. Where? I stashed him. Look, if you want to come with me, Let's go get him right now, right this second, man, because I think, uh, stay in here, man, we should have our fucking heads examined. And that was the plan, and we're here. Well, then where the fuck is everybody? I say the plan becomes null and void once we find out we got a rat in the house. We ain't got the slightest fucking idea what happened to Mr. Blonde and Mr. Blue. I mean, they could both be dead, or maybe they're arrested. The cops could have them right, right now at the station house, sweating them down. Yeah, they don't know our names, but they could be singing about this place. White then says... He thinks he's jinxed, as he was on another job where an undercover cop had infiltrated the gang. Both White and Pink think there's a rat, but who? Everyone is a suspect at this point. We then go back in time. If you haven't caught on yet, the film jumps back and forth in the timeline, so it's best to pay attention when you're watching this movie. Mr. White is talking to the gang leader, Joe Cabot, played by Lawrence Tierney, about the big job that Joe has planned. By the way, how's Alabama? Alabama? I haven't seen Bama over a year and a half. I thought you two were a team. We worked for a little while. Did about four jobs together. Then decided to call it quits. Why? 
you push that woman man thing too long and it gets to you after a while. What's she doing now? She hooked up with Frank McGar. They've done a couple of jobs together. Hell of a woman. Good little thief. So explain the telegram. Five man job. Busted in and busted out of a diamond wholesalers. Can you move the ice afterwards? I don't know nobody that can move ice. No problem. We got guys waiting for it. Hey, what happened to Marcellus Spivey? Didn't he always move your ice? Now you're doing 20 years in Susanville. 20 years? Holy God. What for? Bad luck. <laughs> I guess you can say that again. What's the exposure like? Two minutes, tops. But it's a tough two minutes. Daylight during business hours, dealing with the crowd. But you will have the guys to deal with the crowd. How many employees? I'd say around 20. Security pretty lax. They most usually just deal in boxes. You know, uncut stones from the Diamond Syndicate. But on this particular day, they're getting a shipment of polished stones from Israel. They're like a way station, you know? They get picked up the next day and sent to Vermont. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> What's the cut, Papa? Juicy, Junior. Real juicy. <laughs> We then cut back to the present day. Pink and white debate about what to do next. And Mr. Bond, played by Michael Madsen, shows up with a surprise. Look, man, you do what you want. I'm out of here, man. I'm going to check into a motel for a few days. You know, I'll lay low and I'll call Joe. <sighs> Shit, he fucking dying us. Huh? Is he dead or what? He ain't dead. What is I think he's just passed out. Scared the fucking shit out of me, man. I thought he was dead for sure. Without medical attention, he will die for sure. What are we going to do, man? We can't take him to a hospital. Without medical attention, the man might not live through the night. The bullet in his belly is my fault. Now, while that might not mean jack shit to you, it means a hell of a lot to me. Well, first things first, okay? Stay in here is goofy. We got to book up. What do you suggest we do? Go to a hotel? We got a guy shot in the belly. Can't walk. He bleeds like a stuck pig. And when he's awake, he screams in pain. You got an idea? Spit it out. Joe could help him. We could get in touch with Joe. Joe could get him to a doctor. Joe could get a doctor to come to see him. Assuming we can trust Joe, how are we going to get in touch with him? Huh? He's supposed to be here, but he ain't, which is making me very nervous about being here. Even if he is on the up and up. I don't think he's going to be too happy with us, okay? He planned a robbery, and he's got a bloodbath on his hands now. He's got dead cops, dead robbers, dead civilians. Jesus Christ, I, I, I tend to doubt he's going to have a lot of sympathy for our plight. I mean, if I was him, I'd try to put as much distance between me and this, and this mess as humanly possible. Before you got here, Mr. Orange was asking me to take him to a doctor or a hospital. I don't like the idea of turning him over to the cops. But if we don't, he's going to die. He begged me to do it. Well, all right, then I guess we take him to a hospital. I mean, if that's what he said, let's do it. Since he don't know nothing about us, I say it's his decision. Well, he knows a little about me. What? Wait, wait, you didn't tell him your name, did you? I told him my first name and where I was from. Why? I told him where I was from a few days ago. It was just a natural conversation. What was telling him your name when you weren't supposed to? 
He asked. We had just gotten away from the cops. He just got shot. It was my fault he got shot. He's a fucking bloody mess. He's screaming. I swear to God, I thought he was going to die right then and there. I'm trying to comfort him. Telling him not to worry, everything's going to be okay, I'm going to take care of him. And he asked me what my name was. I mean, the man was dying in my arms. What the fuck was I supposed to do? Tell him I'm sorry? I can't give out that fucking information. It's against the rules. I don't trust you enough. Or maybe I should have, but I couldn't. Fuck you and fuck Joe! Yeah, I'm sure it was a very beautiful scene between you. Don't fucking patronize me! question for you. Do they have a sheet on you where you're from? Yeah! Well, that's that then, man. But I mean, Jesus Christ, I was worried about most of the possibilities there was. Now he knows A, your name, B, what you look like, C, where you're from, and D, what your specialty is. They're not gonna have to show him a hell of a lot of pictures for him to pick you out. I mean, that's it, right? He didn't tell him anything else. I can narrow down the selection. If I have to tell you again to back off, me and you're gonna go round and round. We ain't taking him to a hospital. But we know he's gonna die. And I'm very sad about that, but some fellas are lucky and some ain't. Touching me for man. You wanna fuck with me? I'll show you who you're fucking with. You wanna shoot me, you little piece of shit? Go ahead, take a shot. Fuck you, White. I didn't create this situation. I'm dealing with it. You're acting like a first year fucking thief. I'm acting like a professional. They get him, they can get you. They get you, they get closer to me, and that can't happen. You're looking at me like it's my fault? I didn't tell him my name. I didn't tell him where I was from. Shit, 15 minutes ago, you almost told me your name. Your buddy there is stuck in a situation you created. So if you want to throw bad looks somewhere, throw them out of the mirror. You kids shouldn't play so rough. Somebody's going to start crying. It's the blood. Shit, you kicking me. What happened to you? Figured you were dead. Hey, you okay? Did you see what happened to Blue? We didn't know what happened to you and Blue. That's what we were wondering about. What? Come on, man. Look, Brown is dead. Orange got it in the belly. He's enough! Alive. Enough! You better start talking, asshole. Because we got shit we need to talk about. We're already freaked out. We need you acting freaky like we need a fucking bag on our hip. Okay, let's talk. We think we got a rat in the house. I guarantee we got a rat in the house. What makes you say that? Is that supposed to be funny? Look, we think this place ain't safe. This place just ain't secure anymore. We're leaving. You should go with us. Nobody's going anywhere. Piss on this fucking turd. We're out of here. Don't take another step, Mr. White. Fuck you, maniac! It's your fucking fault we're in this trouble. What's this guy's problem? What's my problem? Yeah, I got a fucking problem. I got a big fucking problem. With any trick you have, a madman almost gets me shot. What the fuck are you talking about? That fucking shooting spree. In the store, remember? Oh, fuck him. They set off the alarm. They deserve what they got. You almost killed me.
gonna bark all day, little doggy? Or are you gonna bite? What was that? I'm sorry, I didn't catch it. Would you repeat it? Are you gonna bark all day, little doggy? Or are you gonna bite? Oh, Christ. Hey, look, you two assholes. Calm the fuck down. Hey, come on. What, what, are, we, what are we on a playground here, huh? Am I the only professional? Fucking guys who like a bunch of fucking niggers, man. You working niggers, huh? Just like you two. Always said they're gonna kill each other. You said yourself you thought about taking him out. Fucking said that. Yeah, I did, okay? I did. But that was then. Right now, this guy is the only one I completely trust. Fucking homicidal to be working with the cops. You taking his side? No! Fuck sides, man! What we need here is a little solidarity! Somebody's sticking a red out poker up our ass. I wanna know whose name's on the handle. <sighs> Fuck. Look, I know I'm no piece of shit. I'm pretty sure you're okay. And I'm fucking positive you're on the level. So let's try and figure out who the bad guy is, alright? <sighs> wow. <laughs> that was really exciting. <laughs> I bet you're a big Lee Marvin fan, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, me too. I love that guy. <clears throat> My heart's beating so fast, I'm about to have a heart attack. Huh? I got something outside that uh, I'd like to show you guys, so follow me. Follow you? Where? To my car. Would you forget your french fries to go with the soda? I had them already. Yeah? I got something I think you might want to see, though. It's a big surprise. I'm sure you'll like it. Come on. Hey, we still got to get out of here, you know. No. We're going to stick around. We're going to wait. What for? The cops? No. Nice guy, Eddie. Nice guy, Eddie? Yeah. What makes you think he isn't on a plane right now, halfway to Costa Rica? Because I spoke to him on the phone and he said he's on the way down here. You talked to nice guy, Eddie? Why yeah. the fuck did you say that in the first place? Because he never asked me. Hardy fucking har. What did he say? He said stay put. So, in the meantime, I'll show you guys something. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Maybe a boy in blue here can answer some of these questions about this rat business you've been talking about. You're a piece of work, my friend. <laughs> Ain't a bad idea. Let's get him the fuck out of here. Blonde kidnapped a cop and took him hostage and threw him in the back of the truck. We then go back in time where Joe and nice guy Eddie, played by Chris Penn, are recruiting Vic Vega, Mr. Blonde. Hey, Sid, will you relax? I know you a long time. I'm not worried. I know you'll pay me back. Don't tell me what I already know. Don't embarrass me. So you had a few bad months. You do what everybody else does. I don't care if it's J.P. Morgan or Ivy Taylor. You write it out. <laughs> Vic Vega's outside. Hold on. Oh. Vic Vega. Oh, tell him to come in. I gotta go. Come on in. Friend of mine's outside. Keep your chin up. I'll be talking to you. Don't worry. Hey, welcome home, Vic. <laughs> How does freedom feel, huh? It's a change. Ain't that the sad truth? Sit down, take your coat off, make yourself at home. A little drink? Yeah. How about a little uh, Remy Martin? <laughs> sure. Who's your parole officer? 
Senor Skagnetti. How is he? He's a fucking asshole. Won't even let me leave the halfway house. You know, it never ceases to amaze me. That fucking jungle bunny goes out there, slits some old woman's throat for 25 cents. He gets Doris Day for a parole officer. Good fellow like you winds up with a ball-busting prick. I want you to know I appreciate all the packages you sent me on the inside. Hey, what the hell was I supposed to do? Forget about you? I just want you to know that it meant a lot to me. Hey, it was the least I could do. I wish the hell I could have done a lot more. Thanks a lot, Joe. Yeah, Vic. Those pink, Vic. Now tell me a story, kid. What are your plans? A bitch. I see you sitting there, but I don't believe it. How you doing, big big? Hey, Eddie. Ah. Ah. Listen, I'm sorry. I should have picked you up myself. I was, my fucking, I mean, it's been, this week's been crazy. I have my head on my ass the whole time. It's funny you should say that, because that was what me and your daddy were just talking about. And I should have picked you up. No, that you had your head up your ass. <laughs> I walk in the door, he's like, Vic, Vic, I'm so glad somebody's finally here who knows what's going on. My son Eddie's a fuck-up. He's ruining the business. I mean, I love the guy, but you know, he's flushing everything down the toilet. I mean, that's what you said, right, Joe? I mean, tell him yourself. Well, Eddie, I hate for you to hear it like this, but... No, they come in and ask me how business was. You know, a lot of our guys just don't feel you. It's very true. <laughs> Shit, break it up. Get out of this place now. <laughs> you guys wanna roll around on the floor, you're doing it in Eddie's office, not mine. <laughs> Daddy, did you see that? What? The guy got me on the ground, he tried to fuck me. You wish. You sick bastard, Vic. You tried to fuck me in my father's office. Look, Vic, whatever you want to do in the privacy of your own home, go to it. But don't try to fuck me. I mean, I, I don't think you that way. I like you a lot, buddy, but I don't think you're that way. Listen, if I was a butt cowboy, I wouldn't even throw you to the posse. No, you wouldn't. You'd keep me for yourself. You know, four years fucking punks up the ass, you'd appreciate a piece of prime rib when you say it. It might break you in, <laughs> nice guy, but it'd make you my dog's bitch. Ain't that a sad sight, daddy? Man walks into prison, a white man walks out talking like a fucking nigger. You know what? I think it's all that black semen been pumped up your ass so far, and now it's back into your fucking brain. It's coming out your mouth. Eddie, you keep talking like a bitch. I'm gonna slap you like a bitch. Come on, all man! Right, enough of this shit. I'm sick of it. I both of you sit down. Oh, Eddie. You come in here, we were talking some serious business. Now, Vic here's got a parole problem. Who's your P.O.? Seymour Skagnetti. Skagnetti. Fuck. Harry's a motherfucker. Oh, he's a fucker. Won't even let me leave the halfway house unless I get some shitty job. Hey, you come back to work for us, man. Well, I wanna. First, I gotta prove to, uh, asshead that I can get a regular, you know, job, job-type job before I can move out on my own. 
I can't come back to work for you guys if I gotta worry about uh, making some silly-ass 10 o'clock curfew every fucking night. All right, we can work this out, kid. We ready? This ain't all that bad. Look, we can get you a lot of legitimate jobs. I'll get you down to Long Beach as a dock worker. I don't want to lift no fucking crates, Eddie. Vic, you ain't gonna lift shit. You don't even work there. But as far as the records are concerned, you do. I call Matthews, the foreman, I tell him he's got a new guy. Boom, you're on the rotation. You get a time card. It's clocked in and out for you every day. And at the end of the week, you get a nice paycheck. Dock workers do very well. So you can move into a halfway decent place without the Scagnetti fuck going, hey, where the fuck's the money coming from? And if he decides to make a surprise visit, that's the day we sent you to Tustin. Pick up a load of shit and bring it back. If he comes back again, hey, sorry, Seymour, you just missed him. We had to send him to the Taft Airstrip five fucking hours away. We had a load of shit we had to have him pick up there and bring back here. Look, part of your job, Vic, is going different places. That's the beauty of it. We got places all over the place. See, Vic, they tell you not to worry. Yeah, Vic was worried. I'll take you down to Long Beach tomorrow. I'll get you fixed up with Matthews. I'll tell him what's what. You know, I really appreciate what you guys are doing, but I'd like to know when I can come back, you know, do some real work. Well, it's hard to say. It's kind of a strange time now. Things are kind of... They're a little fucked up is what they are. <sighs> Look, we're just getting ready for a big meeting right now in Vegas. Look, just let Eddie for now set you up at Long Beach. Get your job, give you some cash, and get this Scagnetti fuck off your back, and then we'll talk to you, all right? Huh? Dad, I got an idea. Now just, just hear me out. I know you don't like using the boys on these jobs, but Vic here, I mean, he's only been nothing but good luck for us, and... The guy's a fucking rabbit's foot, for crying out loud. I'd like to have him in. You know he can handle himself, and you damn sure know you can trust him. Hey, Rick. How would you feel about pulling a job with about five other guys? I'd feel great about it. That dock worker's job sounds awesome. We then fast forward back to present day with Eddie heading over to the hideout while Blonde and White tie up the kidnapped cop. And the radio DJ you hear in the next clip is stand-up comedian Stephen Wright, who is best known for his extremely dry-witted humor and monotone voice. K-Billy Super Sounds of the 70s continues. And if you're the 12th caller... You'll win two tickets to the monster truck extravaganza being held tonight at the Carson Fairgrounds, featuring Big Daddy Don Bodine's truck, the Behemoth. The 12th caller wins on the station where the 70s survived. Oh, I got you! Oh, 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 you thought I didn't see you now, did you? Hey, Doc, we got a major situation here. I know you know that. I gotta talk to Daddy and find out what he wants done. All I know is what Vic told me, man. He said the place turned into a fucking bullet festival. He took a cop hostage just to get the fuck out of there. Do 
I sound like I'm fucking joking? He's fucking driving around with a cop in his trunk. <laughs> I don't know who did what. I don't, I don't know who's got the loot. I don't know if anybody's got the loot. I don't know who's dead. I don't know who's alive. I don't know who's caught. I don't know who's not. You never should have promised to me. Give it here. Don't hold back. Now give it here. Don't say nothing. Just give it here. Come on. Give it here. Give it here. Practically there now. But what do I tell these guys about Daddy? All right. You sure that's what he said? Okay, that's what I'll tell you. Hey, fuck you, man. You weren't there. We weren't. I'm telling you, the cops had that store staked out. Okay, Mr. Fucking Detective. You're so fucking smart. Huh? Who did it? What the hell do you think we've been asking each other? Yeah, what'd you come up with, huh? You think I did it? You think I fucking set you up? I don't know. But somebody did. Nobody did. You fucking assholes turn a jewelry store into Don't a you call me an asshole. Show. You fucking idiot. Turn a fucking jewelry store don't into a Don't you call me a fucking idiot. Are you wonder why the fucking cops show up? Where's Joseph? I don't know. I ain't talked to him. I talked to Dove. He says Daddy's coming down here and he's fucking pissed. He's pissed? <laughs> I told you he'd be pissed. What'd Joe say? I told you I ain't talked to him. All I know is he's pissed. What are you gonna do about him? Jesus Christ, give me a fucking chance to breathe. I got a few questions of my own here. You ain't dying, he is. All right, Mr. Fucking Compassion, I will call somebody. Who? Fucking snake charmer. What do you think? I'll call a doctor to fix him right up. Now, what happened to Brown and Blue? Brown's dead. We don't know what happened to him. Brown's dead? Are you sure? I'm sure. I was there. I took one in the head. Nobody's got a clue what happened to Mr. Blue? Either he's alive or he's dead. Or the cops got him. Or they don't. Take this, the bastard you told me about. Are you beating on it? Maybe he could tell us who the fuck set us up. If you fucking beat this prick long enough, he'll tell you you started the goddamn Chicago fire. Now that don't necessarily make it fucking so. Come on, man, think. All right. First thing's fucking last. Who's got the stones? Please, somebody at least tell me one little fucking favor just for my sake. I got somebody a bag. Goes, I got a bag, okay? I stashed it to be sure this place wasn't a police station. Good for you. Now let's go get it. First, we gotta get rid of those cars outside. It looks like Sam's hot car lot out there. Okay. Blondie, stay here and babysit them too. White and pink, you take a car each. I'll follow you, you ditch him. Pick up the stones. And while I'm following you, I'll arrange some sort of a doctor for our friend. You can't leave these guys there with him. Why not? Because he's a fucking psycho. And if you think Joe's pissed off, 
That ain't nothing compared to how pissed off I am at him for putting me in the same room as that bastard. You see what I've been putting up with, Eddie? I fucking walked in here. I told these guys about staying put. Mr. White whips out his gun. He's sticking it in my face, calling me a motherfucker, saying he's going to blow me away. And blah, 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 blah. He's the reason the joint turned into a shooting spree. What are you, a fucking silent partner? Tell him! He went crazy in the store, but he seems all right now. This is what he was doing. Bam! 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 Yeah, bam, 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 bam. I told them not to touch the fucking alarm. They did. If they hadn't done what I told them not to do, they'd still be alive. My fucking hero. Thanks. That's your excuse for going on a killed crazy rampage. I don't like alarms, Mr. White. What does it matter who stays with the cop? We ain't letting him go, not after we've seen everybody. Fuck up, man! You guys should never have taken him out of the trunk in the first place. Uh, try to find out what he knew about the setup. There is no fucking setup! Now here's the news! Bloody, you stay here and take care of these two! White and Pink, you come with me, because if Joe gets here and he sees all these cars parked outside, I swear to you, he's going to be just as mad at me as he is at you. Well, leaving the cop alone with Blonde isn't going to be a good thing, for the cop at least, and it's here we get arguably the most memorable scene in the film. Now, what makes it so memorable is the use of the song Stuck in the Middle with You by Steeler's Wheel. It was such a brilliant choice by Tarantino as you get this upbeat track while Blonde horrifically tortures the cop. Alone at last. Guess what? I think I'm parked in the red zone. <laughs> now, where were we? I told you I don't know anything about any fucking setup. Mm-hmm. I've been on the force for only eight months. They don't tell me anything. Nobody tells me shit. You can torture me all you want. Torture you? That's a good... That's a good idea. I like that one. Yeah. Even your boss said there wasn't a setup. My what? Your boss. Excuse me, pal. One thing I want to make clear to you. I don't have a boss. Nobody tells me what to do. You understand? You hear what I said, you son of a bitch? All right, all right, all right. You don't have a boss. All right. the fucking shit. Look it, I'm not gonna bullshit you, okay? I don't really give a good fuck what you know or don't know. But I'm gonna torture you anyway. Regardless, not to get information. It's amusing, uh, to me, to torture. 
the cop. You can say anything you want, because I've heard it all before. All you can do is pray for a quick death, which you ain't gonna get. Listen to K. Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s. It's my personal favorite. Joe Egan and Jerry Rafferty were a duo known as Dealer's Wheel when they recorded this Dylan esque pop bubblegum favorite from April of 1974. That reached up to number five as K. Billy Super Sounds of the 70s continues. Tarantino revealed in an interview that the entire soundtrack budget was spent on securing Stuck in the Middle with You for the film. Tarantino was content with having no other music in the film as long as he could use that song. The other songs were secured thanks to the producers managing to make the record deal for the soundtrack. Tarantino and the producers were well aware that that plan might not have worked out at all, but he really wanted Stuck in the Middle with You. Blonde returns from his car after cutting off the cop's ear and grabs a full can of gasoline as he plans on dumping it on the cop and then torching him. So, what happens? Well, if you haven't seen the film, I can't divulge that. You'll just have to watch the movie for yourself. But, it's a key plot point, I will say. 
However, I can continue to provide some of the great dialogue clips leading up to the botched job. Hey, I know what I'm talking about, okay? Black women ain't the same as white women. There's a slight difference. Very funny. You know what I mean. What a white bitch will put up with, a black bitch wouldn't put up with for a minute, man. They got a line, and if you cross it, they fuck you up. I gotta go along with Pink on that one. I've seen it happen. Okay, Mr. Expert, if this is such a truism, why is it that every nigger I know treats his woman like a piece of shit? I'll make you a bet that those same damn niggers who are showing their ass in public, when their bitches get them home, man, they chill the fuck out. <laughs> Not these guys. Oh, yeah, those guys, too. Here you guys a story. One of Daddy's clubs. It's a black cocktail waitress named E. Lois. E. Lois? Yeah, E. Lois. E. and Lois. She called it Lady E. Where was she from, Compton? <laughs> from Ladora Heights. Oh, Ladora Heights. That's uh -huh. the Black Beverly Hills. <laughs> oh, it's not the Black Beverly Hills. It's the Black Palace Verdes. Anyway, Lady uh -huh. E. I mean, she was a man-eater upper. Unfucking believable. Every guy that ever, ever laid his eyes on her had to jack off to her at least once. I mean, you know what she looked like? She looked like uh, Christy Love. Remember that TV show oh, yeah, called yeah, Christy yeah. Love about the black female cop? Shows you to say, you're you under arrest, sugar. sugar. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of the chick who played Christy Love? Pam Greer. No, it wasn't Pam Greer. Pam Greer was the other one. Pam Greer did the film. Christy Love was like a Pam Greer TV show without Pam Greer. So who was Christy Love? What the fuck should I know? Right now I'm totally fucking tortured. Whoever it was, it doesn't matter. She looked exactly like Elois. Anne Francis. No, that was Honey West. Aunt Francis is white. Shut up. All right, I'm trying to tell a story here. She looked exactly like Elois. Anyway, I come into the club one night, and there's Carlos. She's the bartender's wetback. He's a friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> and I says to him, Carlos, where's Lady E tonight? And he, and now apparently Lady E was married to a real piece of dog shit. I mean, a real fucking animal. He used to do things to her. Well, do things, do things like what? What would he do? I mean, he beat her up or something? I don't know what he did, he just did things, all right? All right? So anyway, one night, she plays it real cool. She waits for this bag of shit to get to her. He falls asleep on the fucking couch. She sneaks up on him, and she puts some wacko glue on his dick, and glues his dick to his belly. <laughs> no. Hey, I'm, Jesus I'm, I'm serious, man. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. They had to call the paramedics to cut the prick loose. Literally. <laughs> he could do some crazy things. Man. Was he all pissed off? <laughs> How would you feel if every time you had to take a piss, you had to do a fucking handstand? <laughs> oh, you guys like to tell jokes and giggle and kid around, huh? Giggling like a bunch of young bros in a schoolyard. Well, let me tell a joke. Five guys sitting at a bullpen, San Quentin, wondering how the fuck they got there. What did we do wrong? What should have we done? What didn't we do? Whatever, it's your fault, my fault, his fault, all that bullshit. Finally, someone comes up with the idea, wait a minute. While we were planning this caper, all we did was sit around and tell fucking jokes. Got the message? Well, it's not to me to holler at you. This cape is over, and I'm sure it's going to be a successful one. Hell, we'll get down to Hawaiian Islands. I'll roll and laugh with all of you. Find me a different character down here. 
Right now, it's a matter of business. With the exception of Eddie and myself, and we already know, we're going to be using aliases on this job. Under no circumstances do I want any one of you to relate to each other by your Christian names. And I don't want any talk about yourself personally. That includes where you've been, your wife's name, where you might have done time, or a bank maybe arrived in, say, Petersburg. All I want you guys to talk about, if you have to, is what you're gonna do. That should do it. Hear your names. Mr. Brown, Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Blue, Mr. Orange, Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? Because you're a faggot, all right? <laughs> Why can't we pick our own colors? No way, no way. Try it once, it doesn't work. You get four guys all fighting over who's going to be Mr. Black. But they don't know each other, so nobody wants to back down. No way. I pick. You're Mr. Pink. Be thankful you're not Mr. Yellow. Yeah, yeah but Mr. Brown, that's a little too close to Mr. Shit. Well, Mr. Pink sounds like Mr. Pussy. How about if I'm Mr. Purple? I mean, that sounds good to me. I'll, I'll be Mr. Purple. You're not Mr. Purple. Some guy on some other job is Mr. Purple. You're Mr. Pink. Who cares what your name is? Yeah, that's easy for you to say. You're Mr. White. You have a cool-sounding name. All right, look, if it's no big deal to be Mr. Pink, you want to trade? Hey, nobody's trading with anybody. This ain't a goddamn fucking city council meeting, you know. Now listen up, Mr. Pink. There's two ways you can go on this job. My way or the highway. Now what's it gonna be, Mr. Pink? Jesus Christ, Joe. Fucking forget about it. It's beneath me, you know. I'm Mr. Pink. Let's move on. I'll move on when I feel like it. You always got the goddamn message? Goddamn man, how are you guys? I can hardly talk. Let's go to work. And besides the stuck in the middle with you scene, the naming of each member of the group is a scene that is often quoted and remembered. It is absolutely hilarious. All right, that's as far as I can go with the plot without spoiling everything. You'll find out how the job actually went down along with who the rat is. As with many of Tarantino's films, it's not the plot that you watch the film for. It's the dialogue and the acting. And Tarantino set the foundation for every other film he did with Reservoir Dogs. And for some, this is still his finest work. It's really hard to dispute. All right, there were a few deleted scenes. One is called Background Check. Now, this gives away plot points, so I won't get into that. You can watch it online. But it's notable for including scenes with Nina Sismasco, as all of her scenes and role were ultimately cut out of the film. If you've heard my past episodes, she was Corey Haim's sister in License to Drive and Adam Sandler's girlfriend in Airheads. There's another scene called No Protection. It spoils plot, so go check it out on YouTube. Another one's called Doing My Job. Pink, White, and Eddie discuss the ultimate payout of the job and how to help Orange, who is dying from his gunshot wound as Eddie couldn't find any doctors to help. White and Eddie argue about how to help Orange. All things considered, this is pretty successful. I don't believe you just said that. I'm as messy as hell. Do you realize how much we got away with here? There's over two million dollars worth of stones there. I love this guy. Hey, what's done's done. We can all sit around and have a big cry over it, or we can take care of the situation at hand. The situation at hand isn't that fucking satchel. 
You and Joe have responsibility to your men. I did the best I could. The man is fucking dying. And I told you Bonnie will take care of him. He needs a doctor, not a fucking nurse. Ask me how many doctors I call. Go ahead and embarrass yourself. Ask me how many doctors I call. Obviously, not enough. You fuck you, buddy boy. You got a little black book, then whip it out. Otherwise, shut the fuck up, because I called three doctors and I couldn't get through to shit. The time being a factor, I called Bonnie. All right, I told her a bullshit story. Upside, she said, bring him to her apartment. If he dies, I'm holding you personally responsible. Hey, fuck you, buddy boy. Fuck you. All right, fuck you too. The fuck you talking to. All right? Hey, fuck off. You want to play that way? I'm leaving myself very fucking vulnerable with this Bonnie situation. But me being such a fucking nice guy, I'm willing to do it. But no more. Forget about it. I'm calling her back, and I'm telling her to forget about it. Because you know so much fucking come about on, come it. Come on, huh? You might as well take care of it yourself, Jesus right, Christ, asshole? you guys grow up? Hey, I am grown up, you fucking... All right, I'm sorry. I am grown up, okay? I'm trying to take care of business here. I'm Cut the shit. I'm trying to be responsible. I don't believe you called anybody except some coos you once fucked who happens to wear orthopedic shoes. I don't think that's good enough care for a gut shot man. Yeah, you know what? I don't give a flying fuck what you think. Look, nobody's saying this bitch is gonna operate on him, but she's gonna give him better attention than we can. She's a nurse, you know? Nobody's forgetting about doctors. I mean, Joe will get one in a snap. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus Christ, I think you're both acting like a couple of assholes. Pink, you hair range your nurse, I'll leave myself wide open and I'm an asshole? <sighs> there are also more graphic outtakes of the ear-cutting scene, which you don't actually see in the proper release of the film. Alright, some fun facts. The film's budget was so low that many of the actors were asked to simply bring their own wardrobe as clothing. Most notably, Chris Penn's track jacket. The signature black suits were provided by Free by the designer based on her love for the American crime film genre. Steve Buscemi wore his own black jeans instead of suit pants, and Michael Madsen wore a jacket and pants that came from two different suits. Even though Reservoir Dogs are considered a heist film, you never actually see the heist occur, which frankly is brilliant and offbeat and totally Tarantino. As you probably picked up if you're a Tarantino fan, Mr. Bond's real name, played by Michael Madsen, is Vic Vega. That is the same last name as Vincent Vega, who John Travolta played in Pulp Fiction. Tarantino revealed that Vic and Vince are indeed brothers. He also wanted to do a prequel of both films called Double V Vega, which would star the Vega brothers, but Madsen and Travolta eventually got too old to reprise their roles, and Tarantino just abandoned it. Tarantino wanted James Woods to play a role in the film, and made him five different cash offers. But Woods' agent refused the offers without even mentioning it to Woods, since the sums that were offered were well below Woods' usual salary. When Tarantino and Woods later met for the first time, Woods learned of the offer and was annoyed enough to get a new agent. Tarantino never told Woods which role he was being offered because the actor who played the role was magnificent anyway. It has been speculated that the role which Tarantino was referring to was Mr. Orange which was, of course, played by Tim Roth. All right, we have two special guests who absolutely adore this film, and they're always terrific themselves, and that is Metal Mike Tyler and Bill Roseberry. So let's hear what they have to say about this classic, and I'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection.
Okay, we're back with a dynamic duo, Mr. Turquoise and Mr. Fuchsia. Thank God they're back. It's Bill Roseberry and my Metal Mike Tyler. Welcome back, boys. Hey. You gonna bark all day, little doggy, or are you gonna bite? <laughs> Let's get to wake. See, Mike had practiced that before we even started, so that was that was excellent. Right. So, <laughs> I thought he'd say, "Cough up a dollar, you cheap bastard!" Right? <laughs> hey, who didn't Which throw is right in the beginning? Mr. Pink, Mr. Pink, why not? Doesn't believe in it. Shut up. What do you mean don't believe in it? Hey, I paid for the fucking breakfast. Cough up a buck, you cheap bastard. Well, that is the brilliance of Tarantino's writing. So right off the bat, in just that scene, you get something that was completely different than what was coming out at the time. Um, did you guys, we'll, we'll start with Mike on this one. Did you see Pulp Fiction prior to Reservoir Dogs, or did you actually see Dogs first? Saw Dogs first. So you saw it in the theater or you No, I didn't see it in the theater. Um I okay. yeah, I used to frequent this uh mom and pop video store called Bethalto Video World. Uh-huh. And um I had a friend of mine, her name was Selena. She worked there. She was actually the manager there. Mm. And there was this funny little fella that worked there. And I liked Scott, but he was a gatekeeper, you know, uh-huh. when it came to films. Like uh he had good taste and there was a lot of things he liked, but he was kind of artsy farty, even talked like this, you know, he'd be like, he'd be like, you know, like Jurassic park only had okay special effects. <laughs> and I'd be like, bro, like if you didn't like the movie, that's one thing, you know, but just <laughs> to critique the special effects, it's fucking ILM dude, you know, right. The premier effects house in Hollywood. Nobody does it better. And he's, oh, you know, it's okay. Special effects. Park was the best. I mean, the right, that's what I'm better. saying, dude. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if we, if we just said, well, it's okay. The movie was okay. But he didn't. He's like, well, you know, the special effects, they were okay. And I was like, what? And I had to give him shit. I'm like, uh, Scott, there's the Sialem. It's the, the, special effects house in hollywood like nobody does it better than them they do everybody's special effects he's the type of guy like when when king kong was first released in 1933 yeah it's not that great it's not yeah you know that that will (laughs) o'brien he he sucks you know he's not that good stop motion shit's not gonna get anywhere that's right Uh, Uh, but yeah he's just one but to be fair to him he was the guy that turned me on to this movie you know he was always like yeah, you know, and a lot of times he turned me on to cool shit, man. And he was just like, "You need to check this out. If you liked um, True Romance, you're gonna like this." You know, he Quentin Tarantino. He wrote True Romance. He took the money from that and he made this film. It's fucking awesome. I was like, "All right, mm-hmm. dude, I'll check it out, man." And I popped it in, and and I watched it with my dad. And I'll I'll never forget just the opening scene. And I'm like, wow, this is really cool. You know, the, the, the dialogue, the interplay between all the characters, you know, and and I mean, you got Quentin Tarantino's Mr. Brown going on and on about a Madonna song and like breaking it all down and shit. And how I love how he's like, all, you know, because the one guy goes, he goes, you know, it's about a girl who digs a guy with a really big dick. You know, and then of course, Mr. Bond's like, no, it's not it's about a girl who's vulnerable. She's been hurt. No, no, no. Time fuck out. Time to fuck out, man. T- sell that shit to the fucking tourist, man. That's what True Blue is about. No doubt. No doubt. But, you know, it, it was just fucking hilarious. And then it goes from that to fucking Tim Roth in yep. the back of a fucking car with a white interior just drenched in blood, screaming bloody murder. Like, it was so fucking intense. I'm like, whoa. I was hooked right then and there, man. Like, I was just totally hooked. And I remember when I bought the movie, I liked it so much I bought it. Mm-hmm. I went to uh, my brother's. I was like, dude, you gotta check this out. And we'd watched a few movies. And I kept trying to get him to watch it. And he's like, alright, dude, I'll watch it, but I'm gonna go to bed. I was like, alright, dude, later. 
you know, I even told him, I was like, yeah, bitch. So I leave <laughs> and, um, he goes ahead and he pops it in and he's like, oh, okay, whatever. And even he was entertained by the beginning of it. But then when it goes to the part I'm talking about, he's like, oh fuck. He said, dude, I stayed up and watched that fucking movie in its entirety. It was fucking awesome. And he was about ready to turn into bed. He was all tired and shit, but he was like, dude, I couldn't turn it off. I had right. to watch the rest of the film, you know? And, uh, yeah, that's, that's the power of filmmaking, man. Oh, so I was already a Tarantino fan when I went to go see Pulp Fiction. That's awesome. Because so, yes. well, a lot of people weren't, even though this um, critically acclaimed, and it's actually the shortest Tarantino film, as it turned out. Um, but yeah, that that's awesome. And so, Bill, how about I'm I'm assuming you saw Pulp Fiction first and then went back? How, how did you see Reservoir Dogs? Yes. So for me, I didn't see Pulp Fiction until it came out on VHS or whatever, DVD, probably VHS at that time. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. But uh, I, uh, he didn't I, have me in his life to show him the way, Brian. That's right. At that point in time, I didn't see. Uh, I didn't see it until till later on, and then I went back and saw Reservoir of Dogs and loved it too. And then I probably didn't watch True Romance until after I'd seen the Kill Bill movies, maybe even. Oh wow! I'm actually watching True Romance right now. I've been watching it in in my room, and uh, I mean that's a great movie too. And I mean. Yep. My my love for Tarantino is his his dialogue writing. I mean, what we were just talking about. I mean, the way he can take just random, basically nothing, and turn it into a weave it into like this full blown action packed movie, and the way that the characters interact with each other are great. You know, I I think I, I've talked to you about this before. I don't know if I've ever talked about it on the on the podcast, but I've I've written a a, a novel and. Mm-hmm. I need to do something with it. I haven't, but one of the things that I did with the novel is, is I think my dialogue writing, the way my characters interact with each, with each other, and I have little diatribes within the story that are kind of nonsensical, and it's all based on you know the way Tarantino writes dialogue. That's kind of where I get I, that. That was kind of my muse to write dialogue to to my story. I mean, I just think he's. He's phenomenal at doing that. I don't. I don't know if there's anybody better. I mean, there's some other ones that that are close. The Cohen brothers do pretty good. Sure, she does pretty good. And and but I mean, uh, Tarantino's dialogue writing is 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 otherworldly, in my opinion. Well, yeah, and and if you listen to his interviews, his he's all over the place. Like inside of his head, must be <laughs> like be because um he, he's he's all over the place I, where does uh, we'll, we'll go with bill on this one where does reservoir dogs rank uh for you in tarantino's filmography oh man and this oh. is you personally you don't have to you know do critically just for you i know i it's tough i would still i would still rank pulp fiction one for me um mm-hmm. and then it's almost almost a tie from there for 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 second it's hard for me to rank any of more of the top of each other, but between Reservoir of Dogs, um, you know, uh, Once a Time, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Inglorious Bastards, and Django. I mean, I I absolutely love all four of those movies, you mm-hmm. know, and and I put True Romance right up there too, probably above like Jackie Brown and the Kill Bill movies. Um, okay, uh, actually, but but uh, yeah, Reservoir of Dogs. It, It'd be tough. It'd be right there with that with that group for me. I mean, uh, but Pulp Fiction. But Pulp Fiction's always one. Be yep. first for me. That was mm-hmm. my introduction to Tarantino. But but Reservoir Dogs is 
is right there. I, I just loved what he was able to do to where he was able to find success writing true romance, make money off of that, and then turn around and use that to direct his first film in Reservoir Dogs and use the money that he made off of that to create Pulp Fiction. And then from there, I mean, he, he, he owned the world at that point. He could do whatever he wanted. And that's how he is now. I mean, he's sure he's, this, this historical fiction stuff that he's been doing here recently is is so badass. Yeah, know? his alternate history. I, yeah. I, I, I yeah. dig it. Yeah, well, he, he he bet on himself, and and it's tough to do that. It's easy to take other other people's money to bet on yourself, but he he did his own. Uh, uh, Mike, where where does Reservoir? What's what's your number one if it isn't Reservoir Dogs? It's got to be Reservoir Dogs because it okay. was kind of my introduction to Quentin Tarantino. Even though I had seen True Romance and loved it, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, okay, well, I like that movie. I'll check it out. But this was where I was like, like I went to the theater eagerly awaiting Pulp Fiction, man. The minute I found out he was doing another movie, I was like, oh, I got to go see it, you know? Mm-hmm. And me and my dad, we did, man. We went opening night. And, uh, uh, yeah, I've been, a, I've been a Quentin Tarantino fan ever since, man. So for me, uh, but, man, I got to, it's almost like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. It's like 1 and 1A, one mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And then, of course, like, I like Jackie Brown a lot. I think that is a yeah. great movie, you know, an underrated movie. Yep. Um, you know, it, uh, um, the Western he did, I liked it a lot. Um, the, I hateful hate, eight. the Hateful Eight. I, I mean, yep. I love the Kill Bill films, man. I, I don't think, I can't really sit there and find a weak link in his filmography. You know what I mean? Like, I've enjoyed sure. just about everything Quentin's done thus far. So, yeah, yeah I, he's the fucking man as far as I'm concerned, man. Oh, no yeah. doubt. Uh, okay, so considering this is Terrence. Tarantino's first official film um, that he obviously he directed. I I think it holds up amazingly well. And and some like Mike feels it's his best work. So, so for Mike, what about this film holds up well? And then if you can be critical, what doesn't hold up if if anything for you? Honestly, the dialogue, the, the character interaction, the performances, like I think the movie was just beautifully cast because if you watch the extras, you see extras where they've got like, there's one where it's it's Steve Buscemi playing Mr. White, and there's like, and I, it, it, which is cool, it's interesting, but Buscemi I thought was just amazing as Mr. Pink. I mean, the part where you know, Mr. White brings Mr. Orange into the the hideout, you know, the meeting place, and all of a sudden he just walks in. Is that a fucking setup or what? And he's just. You know, talking and he's the the reason why I like Mr. Pink so much is he's the first dude to figure out something ain't right. Right. Something ain't right. I mean, he was out of all of them. He was the smartest by far of all the 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 dogs, uh, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I just love that about him. Um, The fact that he he was he he had a code, but it was like. He was a professional, you know, and he's the one that kept having to remind everybody of that. Like, you know what the fuck, you know, like, like, you know, I mean, where Mr. White, as much as I love him because it's Harvey Keitel. Sure. It's like he he did make he should not have told that kid his fucking name. He shouldn't. No, he definitely shouldn't have told him where he was from. It, yeah, it's just it's just a brilliant film, man. And 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 the dialogue and the music. That's another thing. Uh, important component yep. to Tarantino's films is yep. he'll pick the perfect songs and the perfect music 
for yep. his movies, you know. Like, well, we're gonna we'll we'll get there. We'll get there because I have that coming up. Because there is one thing I wanted to say real quick though, because sure. I remember when you did the, my first appearance on this podcast, and I had you do "Counting Flowers on the Walls," my favorite song off the Pulp okay. soundtrack. Which, looking back, I'm like I should have picked, of course, the Chuck Berry tune. You know, mm-hmm. that was my right. favorite scene, and that's my favorite song. But for whatever reason, which I do like that 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 song, "Counting Flowers on the Wall," it's a great song. But but I was like, oh fuck, why didn't I pick fucking, you know, um, "Say La Vie"? Man, I don't know. I, you know. Oh, <laughs> uh, is there anything before we get to Bill? Is there anything that doesn't hold up for you, Mike? Not really, man. Like I just rewatched it with Bill a while back and I enjoyed it just as much as I did the first time around. I don't really look at it and go. Um, I mean, I know some people might think some of the, the um, racial terms. Oh, my God. You know, in this pussy whip fucking spineless time period that we live in. But uh, I, I don't I don't have a problem with it because, mm-hmm. you know, to me, it, it, again, I've always been a big believer that it's not what you say. It's how you say it. Sure. And what the meaning is behind it, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, you know, like I could say Canadian, but if I go then fucking Canadians <laughs> takes a whole other meaning, doesn't it? You know, it does. It you does. Know, so and, and, and Canadian ain't even a racial term, at least as far as I know. Maybe Canuck is. I don't know. But anyway, who gives a fuck? <laughs> well, we'll uh, let South Park handle that. Yeah, <laughs> so, well, or, um, you know, Letter Kenny yeah. and, and t- Trailer Park Boys. We'll let them. That's know. right. That's right. Bill, obviously, I mean. I think that you would assume I would assume you think this film holds up in great ball, but is there anything that you don't think holds up? No matter of fact, uh, I, I think it's, um, it's aged well over time, even more. I've liked, I like it more as I've watched it as I've gotten older than I did even when I was younger. Um, I think for one, the cast now is pretty cemented as you know who they all are. I think at the time, you knew who Lawrence Tierney was as kind of a, um, you know, a character actor for years. And you knew who Harvey Keitel was and you knew who Chris Penn was. The rest of those guys were unknown. So most, you know, Buscemi wasn't really doing anything at this point in his career. Tim Roth. I didn't know who he was at this point. And, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't, uh, didn't know who Michael Madsen was when the first time I watched this. And obviously I didn't know who Tarantino was. I don't think, you know, at first I didn't, I mean, I guess when I watched Pulp Fiction, I realized, oh, okay, that's Quentin Tarantino. But yeah, I mean, for him, so you, to be ha- in it, you hadn't seen the natural yet. Cause I knew Michael Madsen from, um, Oh yes. No, the wall. It's, but I mean, he wasn't like a major character in that he'd be, here and there, but not like he was in this. I mean, he oh, really no, no, no. But, but that's how I knew him because I love, I loved the natural. I always, always knew bump Bailey because of that one. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, I can actually, you know, I kind of forgot that he was in that, you know, that's right. He, I think he might've been the one dating, um, Kim Basinger in that film. Originally he was, he was, yeah. but yeah. now that you said that, but I, I had forgotten about him. I mean, yeah. uh, just completely forgot about him being in there not until you brought that up the but, sad uh, thing about bump is he dies just as he was actually trying that's so. right crashes through the wall <laughs> so the uh the um the other thing about this movie that i think is cooler as i've gotten older is the the nods that you find out later on i mean i just picked up on a couple mike and i did when we watched this last time i i obviously knew that Vic Vega was Vincent's brother. I, I put the, that together a mm-hmm. long time that Michael Madsen and Travolta were brothers. Right. But uh, Joe talks about 
Marcellus while they're sitting in that room. Right. He brings up Marcellus Wallace. And then they also talk about Alabama, which is Patricia Arquette from True Romance. True Romance, yep. So he was tying together the movie that he wrote beforehand with his current movie and the movie that he was going to be creating next, you know. And so I I thought that was really cool to have those because, I mean, they talk about Marcellus Wallace. You don't know who the hell Marcellus Wallace is no. but after you watch Pulp Fiction. You damn well know who Marcellus Wallace is. So that was that was a neat. Those were all neat little um, nods in the movie. Those those uh, Easter eggs, I guess you call it, or or whatever that uh, that I thought's pretty neat with it. And again, I mean, it's just the the action, the the story. I love the way his he he jumps around and he does backstory. Uh, that's another thing that that I did in the the book I wrote was. Was 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 character building, and I jump backwards and go back and show why this happened to a character, you know, and, and kind of build that for them. I mean, because that's it, it makes you really become invested in the characters, you know. And then that when the plot twist comes in this movie, I mean, I didn't see it coming the first time I watched it at that at that time. I was right. kind of. I was blown away, you know, and he just did a, a, he just does a great job at, like I said, plot structure and dialogue, both. And, so, and, and, and also I, world building. He was doing world building. World building, yes. For world building, yeah. 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 I mean, for, and, well, and, you know, that's why I think I love the little, you know, obviously the kind book freak in me, man, when he mentions, you know, Joe and he goes, motherfucker looks and acts just like, the thing you know and i'm like oh that's so cool yeah which you know i mean right there shows you that quentin was a fan of that stuff too you know so very very cool man well that's what's fun about movies like this is it bears repeat viewing because then you can look for the little signs and clues to where he was going and and obviously if this film hadn't taken off it, it those little drops of what eventually would become his films they may not have ever mattered but the fact that he did become this world famous director is even that much more Fun. So uh, we'll, we'll go with Bill on this one. Uh, who's your favorite character? You can only name one. I'm going to sound like a, a psychopath for saying this, but I'm going to go with Mr. Blonde. Okay. <laughs> he, he was so he was so cool, man. I mean, I don't know. He was just such a douchebag and so crazy, but he just did it. It was almost like if uh, Elvis and Chris Isaac like had a crazy son or whatever. Yeah, just, yeah, that's a good way to put you know, it. <laughs> he was he was just. He never got him coming in. He just sucking on the soda and, you know, Harvey's going off on him. And that's when he just looks at him. He's like, you're going to bark all day, little doggy. Or are you going to bite? Oh, he had some great lines. When he cuts the the cop's ear off and he's like talking to him. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? I mean, just such such insanity. But he did it in such a cool, laid back way. I mean, very controlled. Yeah, controlled. I mean, even like when when he comes across Mr. White, Mr. Pink fight, and he goes, you two shouldn't play so rough. Someone's going to start crying. I mean, he (laughs) has some great lines, man. And the way Michael Madsen delivered them, fucking amazing. Oh, terrific. So for Mike, who's your your number one? Damn, dude. You know what? I I love Mr. Pink. I love Mr. White. um, But I got to say, man, Joe. I fucking love that. Oh, yeah. Man. Lawrence Tierney. He yep. is fucking great in this movie. And what's funny is my nephew, Josh, man, he loves Reservoir Dogs. And and 
to him, it's as much a comedy as is a crime film because of oh, Joe, yes. because yeah. of all the crazy shit Joe says in the movie, man. And how he, he just like goes like, I like that one part. He goes, you guys make me my voice hoarse yelling at you all the time, <laughs> you know, when he, when he didn't really yell at all. You know? Yeah. He well, never just, yelled. He just had that kind of voice, you know, but Hey, you know, the, that's the way it is. It's either his way or the highway. That's right. Well, what's great about Tierney and, and a lot of younger fans don't know. I mean, he was an actor back in the forties. He did all these great film noir and his real life. He was like a gangster. Like he was the bad guy. You know, well, like, he played in, John Dillinger. That was his big he, break. He did. And he's an excellent film noir called born to kill. Uh, I covered that. Um, but yeah, he was getting in all sorts of trouble off screen. Like he'd get he'd drunk driving. He'd get arrested for getting into fights and everything. So yeah, I mean, th- that's where, like uh, a man, Brian. Like a, <laughs> that's where Tarantino was brilliant in all of his casting. He wouldn't take the obvious choices. I mean, even going to Jackie Brown, uh, he gets um, Robert uh, Ford. Exactly. So, like, I mean, he or was just Travolta. Or Travolta. He brought him back from, from not obscurity, but he revitalized his career. Uh, and getting Pam Greer. I mean, that, again, yes. like, he was, he never went with what the hot you know, actor might've been at the time or the popular actor. He would got, he just was a, uh, a student of film and that's and a fan. He was and a fan, fan of every one of those David, actors. The guy who played yep. Kung Fu. I can't think that was for Kill David, Carradine, Carradine. David Carradine. Yep. Which, yeah, I mean, Carradine was fucking great in that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So how often do you revisit this movie and which film of Tarantino's do you go back to the most? We'll go with Mike. I'd have to say it's the ones I go back to is usually Pulp Fiction or this one. Mm -hmm. But it had been a while since I've watched either film, man. And that's what was kind of cool. Now, we a while back here at the Wildy, the little local theater, we got this old um, theater that was built like I think in 1908 or something. Mm, And they they restored it. Mm -hmm. 19 what? 1909. Oh, it's nice. close then. 1909. And it was like they restored it and everything. And, and they have like live bands there. We've we've seen some pretty cool acts there. But what they also do is every Tuesday they show a movie. I've seen Bullet there. I've nice. seen I saw Pulp Fiction there a while back with Bill and his dad, and which was a big thrill for me. It was a real big thrill for Bill and and, and Larry because they'd never seen Pulp never Fiction. Seen it on the big screen, screen right? Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know, yeah, I um I would say these two. I would say this one and and, and Pulp Fiction. Yeah, okay, yeah. Bill, uh, which, which one do you uh, do you revisit the most? And uh, when was the last time you had watched this? Like, do you do you watch it once a year? Like, how, how is um, it? I don't know about once a year, but I mean, you know, I I go so I don't know. The way I do it is I I got you know eight hundred and eighty movies in my DVD collection, and I'll watch a different one just over time as I'm falling asleep. Sure. You know, in a throughout a week you know i might finish one depending on how quick i doze off i'll i'll turn it off for the night and pick it up the next day so but reservoir dogs i'd say probably a year year and a half i go back to that one like right now i'm watching true romance i think when i'm done with it i'm gonna watch glorious bastards there you and go i might watch um once upon a time in hollywood because i haven't seen it for a while i mean so i get i'll get on a tarantino flick or you know a little kick there and i'll i'll watch several a, of them, a several tarantino of flick uh, flick, kick, flick kick or kick yeah, flick, there or you kick go. flick yeah yeah so <laughs> but, you know i mean i i go back to a lot of them i mean the ones i probably go back to least are the kill bill movies and 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 probably probably hateful eight. um no, not, that, no. not that i dislike those movies it's just hateful eight's really long mm-hmm. uh, have mean, you I, ever seen the extended version on netflix bill 
it's like a mini series. It's in parts. It's really cool, man. It's even uh, I like it better than the the the. No, I have version. I haven't. You need to you need to check it out. I mean, because what's cool is they put it. In, it's like a mini series almost. It's in parts, so you know that way you don't get like overloaded. Like, oh fuck, this movie's too long. You can watch it in parts. It's really really cool. Mm-hmm. No, I haven't I haven't done that, but uh, I didn't even know that they were doing that. But but yeah, I mean, there's I go back to to just about all of his stuff. I would say par- probably Pulp Fiction's the one I I go back to the most most often, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it just if if I get on a Tarantino flick kick, <laughs> I'll mm-hmm. watch uh, I'll watch some different ones each time just to kind of watch three or four of them in a row. So sure, okay. So Mike, we'll wrap up with this, and Mike kind of referenced it. I mean, the use of music is always vital in Tarantino films because he, he, he's just like just like actors and actresses, he always finds like forgotten or obscure tunes to but really really good ones, man. Exactly to accentuate a scene. So. Obviously, the ear cutting scene is the most memorable. But what other tracks did you enjoy from the film, Mike? Oh, um, well, one of my favorites is the the very first track um, where where they're walking out of the you know um, restaurant. And you hear Stephen Wright with his you know doing the DJ and you know mm-hmm. that that song that boom boom but and they're all walking and it's all in slow motion. Love it. Love mm-hmm. it. I like that one. I like the uh, the song that when the cops are trailing Mr. Orange because you know you know he's undercover and you got that um uh, ooh gotcha gotcha. <laughs> just, oh, I love it. Yeah. yeah, I just love. Yeah, I, I love. I love. Yeah. It's just I don't know, man. There's just something about like you said. He picks these gems, like these um deep cuts, really. Totally. Uh, yeah. And, and, or were uh, once hits a long time ago. But yeah, you almost kind of forgot yeah, about. Yeah. It, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, even, like, even his dialogue, he'll reference things like that, like that part with uh, when they're talking about the radio. Oh, okay, Billy's, you know, super sound of the seventies, and and they're talking about Vicky Lawrence, and the night the lights went out to George Hood, yeah, you know? and, yep. and Chris Penn, you know, he's a um, nice guy. Eddie's all like, now for years I thought it was the cheating wife, that, you know. And he's like, no, dude, it was Vicky Lawrence. What are you fucking stupid? I know that motherfucker. That's what, you know, and they're, they're like arguing about it and shit. I love it, man. Great stuff. Well, yeah, because Stuck in the Middle with You was a hit, but it was a hit yes. back in the early 70s. And then forever, I, I think it's going to be associated with this film. Which oh, is by awesome. well, I bet the guys who wrote that song probably want to fucking just hug Quentin Tarantino oh. every time they see him because. Or they're horrified. <laughs> <laughs> but, man, dude, you. You know they made bank. Oh sure. Well, oh, I mean, yeah. I've, I've, come I've, on. I've DJed at bars. You know, I when I was younger, I had, had my DJ service. I DJ at bars and stuff all the time, and and even wedding receptions and stuff like that. And stuck in the middle with you became like a, a staple. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, and we're talking about people that you know my my age group, you know, and younger than me would would you know rock out to that song and dance to it and come up and ask for it and stuff. I mean it. It, it's just, and I think a lot of that is owed to Quentin Tarantino. I don't well, know. That I, whole, I don't know that I was listening to that song before Reservoir Dogs. Here's sure. another point that you were trying to make out earlier when you said, well, maybe there's something wrong with me because Mr. Blonde's my favorite character. But <laughs> I had a lot of girl, my girlfriends would tell me, you know, I, I think I'm fucked up because the guy's a monster, but yet I'm totally attracted to him. You know, I'm like, well, well part I'm of that's because you no, but they're, they, 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 I, I, okay, dude, whatever. We know better, but no, uh, yeah. all joking around side, man, they, 
they they thought he was hot, dude. You know, and now I told them, I said, well, part of that's because you probably thought Michael Madsen was already hot anyway. Sure. And they would go, well, yeah, but still, you know, it's like here here he's being a psycho cut, and it doesn't bother me because he's so hot. And I'm like, okay, you know. Well, it's like Christian Bale in uh, American Psycho. <laughs> you know, he's listening right. to us in the news. Yeah, <laughs> but but he's a good looking guy. But he's gonna he's gonna kill anyone that gets near him. So yeah, right, right, I, right. same thing. I, some of the songs that I like that like uh, yeah, obviously that one Steeler Wheels. But but uh, the the closer the Coconut by by Harry Nilsson. Harry Nilsson. Yep. Oh yeah, that, yeah. That's a great one, you know. And they had uh, they played Jungle Boogie in there at one point. Did wasn't or was that? No, that's in Pulp Fiction. That, no, that's Pulp Fiction, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it, it's all it's all the '70s stuff though. It's just he he always finds you know the random seventies songs to play. I mean, you know you can tell how much he loved the seventies cinema. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well even seventies, sixties, and late sixties. Yeah, because even yep. when you watch the movie, it's it's obvious with the you know because they got cell phones and stuff. So you're like, okay, yeah, it's taking place at what was then contemporary times. But almost everybody's almost everybody's driving vintage old you know 60s 70s cars you know yeah uh, yep. in the film that's uh, true yeah. except and for it, mr wolf mr wolf had the fucking fancy sports car you know and and uh and there's somebody that uh, that came up with a theory that that character was mr white's twin brother or, you know oh. because it's harvey Keitel. and ah. i'm like well i don't know because they don't ever they only tell you larry's first name they don't tell you what his last name is as far as i know so maybe yep well, that's what's great about these films is you get end up getting like uber fans who just dig deep. And, and Tarantino's a perfect director for this stuff because he does like those Easter eggs. And I'm glad you brought up Stephen Wright because he's great as the DJ. I mean, he's yeah. got that monotone voice. Oh, like yeah. Other. Yeah, he's yeah. perfect. Yep. Uh, um, another thing I wanted to point out with even Pulp Fiction is there's always been that mystery. What was in that case? Everybody's sure. got their theories. And, and, and Tarantino says it doesn't really matter. Um, some people think it's Marcellus Wallace's soul. Some people think it's gold. Some people think it's jewelry or diamonds because it glows, you know, and, you know, like because it does when he opens it up. It's obviously whatever it is. It's shiny. Um, ultimately, it doesn't really matter, though, because. But that's it's it's kind of like that Hitchcock MacGuffin, you know, you just, exactly. It's Well, that's what that's what Tarantino said. It's a MacGuffin, yeah. you know, yep. I always yep. thought. Marcellus's soul. <laughs> I, I, I'm thankful to get both of your guys' soul on this because you're always terrific. I love having you guys together. And so thank you again, guys. And uh, I know I'll be talking always to you again. a pleasure and an honor, my friend. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for damn good movie memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. 